let your voice be heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz with Alyssa Fuchs and Meredith Barnes. Meredith is a special commentator for this week. She is coming in to help us talk about the Olympics, weed, and of course, the DOJ report on the Baltimore Police Department. Selena is away for the weekend. She went to loser camp, a.k.a. her family reunion. She is going to kill me when she hears this part of the show. And we are getting ready to have a huge conversation about the Olympics. So let's actually talk about the Olympics. So I remember on Thursday, I think it was, I was watching the Olympics because I can't really do much of anything else because I have a broken toe. And I was sitting in my living room wondering why we never got a functioning air conditioner for that space. And I had three, <laughs> I had a ceiling fan on, a fan in my face, and then another fan to the right of me, all you- blowing hot air. Are you also trying to avoid those flying roaches while you're oh, at it? God, don't, don't. Oh, God. I'll tell you a they story about cool that. They cool down just like everybody else. If you could fly, you would. I'll tell you a story about those roaches during the news roundup from when I went to oh, Haiti man. when I was eight years old. But um, So I'm sitting there, and like I'm trying to cool off. And um, what, what I saw during the swimming competition, I'm going to butcher her name because I'm such a horrible person, but we saw, uh, I think it was Simone Bynes, I think it was, and she won the 100-meter freestyle swimming competition the gold medal for it so now if you guys who don't swim because i think i'm one of the only black people that i know who swim and swim professionally well quote unquote professionally i was i swam four years in high school i swam three years in college so um and i played water polo in high school and college as well a 400 meter freestyle is 25 like 25 meters like four times just doing a regular stroke so like that's that's like the most basic swimming stroke and she did that and she won she won and it made her the first person of color so win a swimming competition since i think 1964 and we know that the first swimming competition won by a black person in the olympics happened in 1925 we also know that people of color are five times more likely to drown especially people of color african-americans between the ages of five and 15 years old because we historically have not been people who go in the water to swim it's because black people have an aversion to water or swimming or the breaststroke or the butterfly stroke or the or the freestyle or the 500 free no because i've done all those strokes and i know plenty of people who have as well it's because because of jim crow and because of racism and because of just white fragility and fear and the sexualization of black people a lot of the public pools lost funding when jim crow happened and when we started when integration started started being pushed on to white racists so what happened was public pools became private because they didn't want black people in there and the public pools in the city starts to lose funding because hey who wants to pay for funding for the blacks but while i was looking at the swimming competition and while i was watching and being so proud that this woman just swam a a 100 meter freestyle race and did it in 36 seconds which is amazing because at my peak i could do 50 meters which is only two laps at 36 seconds which is what you need to qualify to be a lifeguard in new york state so she's twice as fast as me. She did that in 36 seconds, and I was amazed by that history. There were four children who had snuck out of their favela, and they were watching the Olympics from afar. And they were blocked off by soldiers who were protecting not them, but the people participating in the Olympics from getting robbed. And while they were watching that game, their clothes were dirty and dingy, and their ribs were touching because they were probably hungry. And you know what? They had probably had to escape some sort of gunfight because there's a lot of violence going on right now, specifically from the Reds, which is a former leftist group that joined up with criminals back in the 70s to kind of like take over power. And they're fighting and warring right now because all those things are happening. Happening, they probably had to dodge all kinds of bullets and if you're wondering why i'm saying this it's because there's actually a photo that shows some brazilian kids watching the olympics or at least the fireworks of the olympics from a distance because they can't actually get there and it's pretty much an example of what the country of brazil is facing right now while we have this competition with all these great people and all these great stories and all this great decadence and the fireworks and the money and the flowers and the people you have millions of people right now in brazil who cannot afford to even walk past that space. They can't afford food for a single day. They can't afford housing. They can't afford basic health insurance. They are literally dying in their own homes. And the government, I won't say it's not doing anything, but it's not doing enough, and the country is falling apart. So what we are here to do today is talk about that Brazil. We're not going to talk about the fireworks. We're not going to talk about Michael Phelps. We're not going to talk about Team USA destroying China by 53 points in a single (laughs) game with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson playing together. 
together for the first time because they're both on the Golden State Warriors. That's not relevant. We're talking about the kid who was in the house last week Thursday who heard gunshots, and because he's so used to it, he got down on the floor, away from the window, put his hands in his head, and his mother said to him, Hey, son, just think of a happy place. Don't think of this place. For him, that's what life is. It isn't watching Simone win the 100-meter freestyle race. And it's life for a particular reason, and I want to get down to that today. So, guys, are you ready to embark on the journey with me? Yeah. All right. See, Alyssa's like, I'm a lawyer. I'm going to legalize everything. So, guys, <laughs> there are a couple of things that we do need to talk about in relation to Brazil. So, obviously, Brazil, despite being one of the most beautiful countries in the entire world, 10% of the richest people in Brazil have access to over 40% of the country's income. That means, on the other hand, the poorest 10% receive about 1% of their income. So, one of the biggest problems that we're facing in America is that the 1% of the country, the richest 1% control at about... I think around between 35 and 40% of like all the income that we have over here and all the resources that we have over here. And now Brazil is facing that problem as well, but the only difference is it is not as rich as the United States of America. It is facing serious problems. So some of the poorest places over there where in, the, in America, in New York, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, and in Brownsville, which is a very poor neighborhoods and the projects and had a lot of issues. I had a roof over my head. I had running water. I had electricity. Over there, they're living in favelas, which are shacks. They don't necessarily have running water. They definitely don't have air conditioning. They probably don't even have fans. A lot of these kids and these families don't have food, and this is the environment that they are struggling in. So the Olympics was supposed to be a way to help bring up the economy, quote-unquote, right. and to invest in the community. But instead, what we've seen is the demolition of favelas, the destruction of communities, and militarization of the people who are there already. Alyssa? Well, you know, but I also wanted to add to that. You know, part of the reason why the Olympics who went to Rio um, instead of some of the other cities that they were looking at back seven years ago when they made the selection, um, some of the other cities that they had looked at were Madrid, Tokyo, and Chicago. This was seven years ago. At that time, it, seven years ago, when they decided to go have the Olympics go to Brazil, Brazil was actually rising... Um, um, economically, they had become more of a political star on the world stage. Um, there's a gentleman, his name is Lula, and obviously now he's being investigated for corruption, but at the time, the president, um, Luis Ignacio Lula de Silva, who's known as Lula, he was determined to elevate Brazil. Um, Brazilian industries were flourishing during the eight years of his term from 2003 to 2010. American companies like Budweiser, Heinz, Kraft, they decided that they wanted to go to Brazil um, and to get involved there, and they joined up with Brazilian Congress. Um, they had booming infrastructure, including new ports were being built, new dams were being built, new stadiums. They were hosting other mega events like the World Cup was in Brazil. And just a quick note, poverty had decreased by 19%. And po right, and poverty was going down and a lot more people were working. Well, after he then, right before the start of the Games, although this is um, after the Olympics were selected, but, you know, before the other person came into office, there were some issues with, with public corruption and such. And then um, the new president... President came in Dilma Rousseff, and as you probably or may or may not know, Dilma Rousseff is now suspended, subject to impeachment proceedings, and there's an interim president. So you have to remember, and this is a really big important thing, is that the Olympic Committee, the IOC, they select a place for the Olympic Games to go seven years before it actually happens there. And so they're looking at the situation in Rio at the time when they, they selected the Games seven years ago. And a lot of the things that were going on there seven years ago, unfortunately, have not been able to be maintained in a large part due to corruption uh, within the political system, which is why you have, you know, as you pointed out, people in the favelas were doing a lot better Um when Lula was president up until 2010. Incomes were on the rise. Poverty was decreasing. Unfortunately, that trend was not able to ma be maintained. And so now you have just a situation where the Olympics are now starting and you have all these other political problems and you have poverty is now back on the rise and lots and lots of poor people living in favelas and now they're concerned about crime and other things. And so now what do they do? They deploy a police force of, you know, 85,000 people, which leads to other questions about human rights abuses and other things all of this while the olympic games is going on and you know you're trying to portray your city as being somewhere where people want to go and people want to visit etc etc and then you're having reports coming in not just about green pools related to the olympics but about stray bullets flying and you know coaches being robbed and and a police officer being killed in the favelas so there's a lot of things going on all at the same time yeah. and, and all of those things are true and i think it's good to remember that at the time that these conversations were being first initiated and really this is not specific to Rio this is just the way it goes for every city that hosts any Olympics 
But I do wonder, and I even like months and months and maybe even a year ago when we were hearing over and over at that time, sort of the canary in the coal mine was the bay um, in Rio. And I don't know, I'm forgetting the name, but it was one of the locations where they had people sort of going to inspect that city and and inspect their bid had the biggest concerns about this water quality. And it wasn't just like, oh, we need to clean up this unsightly trash. It was, you know, the pro- proliferation of these super bacteria and these super viruses and that people were not really seeing anywhere else that an Olympics had been hosted before. And I, w- I wondered every time a news report came out about that, why is the IOC not involved in some sort of... Uh, you know, benchmark system so that if Rio says we if you give us the games, we'll do X, Y and Z, which includes not only like these public health concerns, but also maybe could be parlayed into things like what infrastructure they've promised to support favelas and things like that. You know, why is that not a part of the system? So, guys, if you are just tuning in, this is Stealing Fritz on Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Meredith Barnes, and we are talking about Brazil and all the problems we are facing in there during the Olympics. If you want to call in with a question or a comment, you can do so at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. I just want to tie this to America for just one second. So we were talking about this former leader, and Brazil was seeing growth in their country. Poverty was being reduced. The economy was improving. So I'm going to connect this to President Obama, and it's a bit of a stretch, obviously. But we can't. When President Obama came to office, we were dealing with the Great Recession, which was the worst depression. Let's be honest mm-hmm. about it. Since the actual Great Depression of or the stock market crash that happened in 1929 and left the depression in the 1930s, so we're seeing this gradual growth and in, in this increase of produce. But like in like in America over here, the economy is growing. We see more jobs, but the issue of poverty hasn't really. Right. Subsided. And like people are like some people, more people are getting pulled out of poverty, but you still have this this tight concentration of people who are suffering a lot. And something seems to be missing them. So who's to say that that wasn't happening in Brazil? And if it was, what, what, what was being done? Um, on that side. No, I think it was happening in Brazil. I think, but like at the same time, this was a way that they thought like, okay, we're coming up out of poverty and we want to show that we're moving from being a second world country into being a first world country and giving us these games and trusting that we can put them on successfully. You know, for what it's worth, and we were talking about this before we've gone on the show. Yes, we've been hearing these reports about a stray bullet and somebody got robbed and the pools are green and there's some sewage in the, in the bay. Um, but on the scheme of things, there has been no real major issues that have happened. But then again, we also then have to ask, well, well how are people suffering in that way? Yeah. How is the security force in for when you have people patrolling these bad neighborhoods with guns and rifles in full military tactical gear and essentially keeping people there? Then we have to ask about how are we balancing security concerns um, with people's human rights? And and that also goes back to that that conversation about security versus liberty, right? Yeah. So yes, we can say that we haven't seen any major issues at these games, but we also have to ask uh, what is happening to the poorest people. And how are they being controlled by the government, by the police force, by the military in order to prevent some of these other things that happen? And how are they being oppressed by that, which is a situation we see here in the United States all the time when we're talking about police forces and people trying to put on, um, for example, you know, nonviolent protests and those protests being suppressed by, you know, a policeman in tactical gear. So we have to ask ourselves, like, how is the this push to have a safe games also impacting the poorest people because it is and i'm going to come back to that i want to give meredith a chance to jump into so that too just on one second so that's a good way, that's a good way to talk about it as well and i just want to give a piece of information in 2010 when obviously about, about three years after they had announced that the olympics were going to be in brazil what they did was they allowed um for they, they brought in security forces and they really were doing a uh, we'll say a decent job of bringing down the number of violence the volume of violence that was happening in those communities. By 2012, a lot of the, the gangs and the, the organized groups over there started to push back, and mm. things had kind of skyrocketed out of control by 2014. Also, the reason there's so much sewer in the waters is because there's yeah. no there's no sewage system right. in right. Brazil, which is something like which is something that we've known for quite a while and could have yeah. been addressed like you mentioned before, Meredith. So I want Well, and I think that the point. There is a certain uh, like prestige aspect to getting an Olympic bid and, and signaling that we're moving as Brazil from second to first world. But it, there's also the kind of thing that gets bandied about where people say, you know, this will be this huge economic boom for this place and it will have these ripple effects. And 
everyone will benefit for years and years. And that's been kind of a specious argument as we've seen it play out historically. And so if there, if to Alyssa's point, what actually would be interesting to see is, and I don't think we are going to see this, but it could have been on the IOC or on some sort of, um, you know, body to actually come through on some stuff that was promised to the people who are living in favelas and the people that are sort of suffering from the worst of the poverty, uh, you know, show us what's going to be gone when the Coca-Cola pavilion is ripped down and we take all the flowers away and all of that. Like, what is going to be left here? Is it going to be the bird's nest in Beijing, which is, you know, like totally fallen to ruin and was this huge or, centerpiece like what is there or is gonna it be going left? to be barcelona which is mm. if you i mean i've actually been to barcelona they turned where they held the games into a permanent sporting facility it also has a museum it attracts tons of tourists cool. that go there to see the museum that's where basically most of the um the torches are if you want to go see the oh. torches so they they found a way to build that into their infrastructure but also to keep people coming back um you know where in this situation, you know, you've built these additional stadiums, some stuff they already had. I mean, a lot of the part of the games is being held at the stadium that their soccer team has been playing in for years and years and years, and other stuff is new. And the question is, you know, are you going to be able to keep people coming back to these stadiums? And then this also comes back to the issue of income inequality, which is something we see here, which is, you know, are you going to be able to keep the 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 richer people that live in Rio coming back to use these stadiums, to use these facilities, and are the poor people going to be employed here, and is right. that going to, in some ways, try and help lift them out of poverty? We don't know the answer to that yet. But then there's also the perception thing, and, and the, you know, which is when you ask people living in the poorest neighborhoods how they feel about this Olympics— in the most part, there's some people that are obviously objecting. There's always going to be people that are objecting and that are not very happy about this and say, you know, the government's not even helping us out, raising us out of poverty, and yet all this money is being spent on the Olympics. But when you ask most of these people and they go around, there's an article today about how there's a sense of giddiness among these people. These working class families, they're very proud to be Brazilian. They're walking around dressed in yellow and green Brazilian flags. They're strolling along the beachfront promenade, even though that's not somebody somewhere they normally go. Um, lots of them have tried to figure out ways in order to get tickets to go to some of the events, even though they're quite expensive. And some of them are actually working. One one of the guys says that, you know, he comes from the one of the most impoverished slums. He's working at the Coca-Cola kiosk um, for the Olympic Village. He says that he's been unemployed for over two years, yeah. and maybe it's only two weeks worth of work, but, but it's money in his pocket. So, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, I want to push back on a little bit of what you were saying, Alyssa. Um, I Thank you for giving us a positive, but there's a lot going on still in Brazil that I want to get to. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Meredith Barnes, and we are talking about the Olympics in particular. We are talking about Brazil and the impact on the real people of Brazil and the Olympics on their lives. So before we left, Alyssa was talking about some of the giddiness that people in the community were feeling and like some of the pride they were having, and I know Meredith had something to say, so Meredith, I'm throwing it right to you. I was throwing my hands around. It was very clear that I had something to say. <laughs> And I do agree with Alyssa that there are some completely unmitigated goods about uh, what's happening down in Rio now, particularly in the form of employment, though temporary, of people that have not been able to find work in Rio and, and are now manning these temporary in installations of various types of shops and, and things like that. But I also can't help but wonder if anybody wouldn't feel a sense of giddiness and celebration when you're walking around this incredibly festive, all decked out in Brazilian gear everywhere you can see. People are winning medals. It's so exciting. There are all these tourists and the prospect of, of influxes of cash. And, but is it really uh, an actual sense that uh, people who are living most of the year and most of their lives in abject poverty are, are suddenly embracing the Olympics? I think this is just a, a bump because nobody could walk through that village and not feel giddy but you're still going home to a you know a ruin a mountaintop with shacks on it i mean no i, I agree with you unless you want to say something yeah, yeah no i think that's a fair comment i mean that that's a small group of people that are you know i think there's like two things going on they're giddy at the same time they feel like they're living a million miles away if you talk mm. to most of the people yes 
some people are very happy that they have gained some temporary employment and that they're going to be able to bring home some money that they haven't. But if you speak to most of the residents of the favelas, they said that it seems like that the Olympics are having happening in a whole different city, right? Yeah. On one side, in the upper, in the up class, upscale, upper class neighborhoods, there's like people walking around slurping caparinas in fancy clothes, shopping for expensive clothing and watches. And meanwhile, at the same time that that's going on, the drug war, which is taking over a, a majority of the poor areas of Brazil is still raging. There's still gunfights going on every day. There's still um, drugs being sold everywhere. There's still battles between the, the police and the military and between drug dealers and drug gangs. And this is just regular, everyday life in the favelas for most of these people in Brazil. So I think that is a good point, and we can't forget that, you know— People are always going to have different feelings about the right. about about how certain things are affecting them. It's totally subjective. Um, you know, at the same time, we're also looking at, at it from the outside in. You know, it's also important to look at the perspective of somebody lives there and look from the inside out because our perspective, as you know, for lack of a better term, um, you know, upper class sort of yuppie-ish liberals right. that live in America, we can look at this and say, well, you know military police and this and that and the other and like look at all these bad things that are going on but then we really have to look at what's you know what these people are perceiving and whether they're saying well yeah these things go all the on all the time and this has actually been better or this has actually been worse and now people aren't paying attention to it so we can only perceive it the way that we see it and what we're perceiving and what we're seeing according to the numbers is that crime is a serious problem in brazil Mm. there are 28 murders per thousand people in brazil yeah some things aren't perceptions they're numbers and statistics and that's not gonna be done away with by coca-cola exactly That's two plus two is 24 to me and george bush to everyone else it is 47 and you can't <laughs> run from those facts and like some of the biggest crimes that are happening in brazil are robbings muggings kidnappings and gang violence i already talked about the reds group which used to be a leftist group and they joined together with local crime criminals because they wanted to fight against the government back in the 70s they have now just become a full-blown criminal group they also had large ties to the the colombian cocaine movement Mm -hmm. so a lot of drugs are being shifted back and forth which is making these communities a literal war zone so i mean we can't take away from what the olympics are are bringing but those people who have those temporary jobs this is what they're going back home to just switching up switching it up a little bit more just talking about the education while brazilian children are supposed to be guaranteed a free public education it has a problem which is very similar to what we have in this country in which the schools are controlled by the districts the local districts or local communities which means if you live in a poor community the schools don't really have that much funding the richer your community the better the quality of education you're going to receive and the better the funding so a lot of these children the school quality of education isn't that good and then a lot of children don't even go to school because they're malnourished they don't have food they don't have access to get to the schools Alyssa? Yeah and that's almost directly related to political dysfunction I mean last year about 1% of gross domestic product was disappearing in the form of of public corruption and and at the same Mm -hmm. time the country's GDP gross domestic product was 5.4% smaller than it was last year at the same time so when you have money that's being sucked up by corrupt politicians and not spent on education then of course there's no money in the school systems to send kids for public education to pay for the books and the school supplies and the things that kids need to go to school to get an education instead you have corrupt politicians lining their pockets with this money and it basically disappearing which you know for lack we've we've had similar issues occur here especially at the local and state levels i mean we had uh, two major public corruption scandals um here right here in new york with both a republican and with the Democrat, they're both now have been convicted and mm. may or may not, we don't know yet, serve jail time for these public corruption convictions. So, In case, in case you guys are wondering, Alyssa's talking about Dean Scullos, who was the majority Senate leader for the Republican Party in the New York State Senate. He was trying to get um, companies to give his son jobs through payments in order for favors. And, of course, um, Sheldon Silver, who pretty much ran New York yeah. City for 30 years, and he was the assembly um, speaker and the New York State Assembly, and he was taking bribes and getting contracts for special favors as well, among some other things. And they both were convicted and given sentences, but as we see, they can push it to court, they can push it and try to appeal it, and they may not do any actual jail time. I mean, but- if you, sorry, if you ask residents living in the poorest areas in Rio right now, something like more than half of them have told posters they'd rather be living somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, particularly this issue of uh, funding for schools and, and having it split up as Stanley was saying, with districts and local communities and just how many different people in the chain there are in a system where there's ambient corruption. I mean, it really is just set up 
in a way that, you know, you just can't be shocked sometimes. We definitely see this kind of thing here, too. I grew up down in Texas where uh, in like a suburb of Houston that wasn't always a suburb of Houston. It was sort of annexed at one point for a tax base, people just sort of needing more people to pay taxes. And in the inner city of Houston, there wasn't enough people to fund their school systems. And it, it totally changed our lives. But also when you you know, the end result of this, whether it's uh, poor, poorly funded public schools, but also to Stanley's point of, of people who are just not kids who are just not in a position to go and learn. What are the other options if you don't get an education? I mean, to me, this seems inextricably linked to what we were seeing with the rampant violence and the drug wars. I mean, you if you can't go and get a job that, you know, one might get after going through all of the stages of education, here's a job right here on your street corner. Do you guys agree? No, I think you're absolutely right, Meredith. And um, I actually, with you having said all that, I want to kind of give some information because we're talking about how like extreme things are in Brazil, but no matter how far you go, there you are. And I say <laughs> right. that because yeah. let's talk about the plight of people of color, particularly African-Americans or um, Afro-Latino Brazilians. In 2009, blacks had a higher risk of death than whites from homicide, regardless of education level. Guess what that was? Not America, Brazil. I mean, listen, police have killed 8,000 men in the drug war last year. I'm sorry, over the past decade, and most of them have been black. Yep. I mean, there there is definitely good reason to believe that, um, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the war on drugs we see here in America and some of the policing issues we see here in America with respect to race and the history of slavery and the overlap of those things in Brazil. I know you I, wanted to give some yes, more of the statistics I'm, on that. Actually, no, I'm glad you mentioned slavery because I want I know mm. we're running out of time. I wanted to get to slavery. So one of the big pieces in the opening ceremonies for, for the Olympics this year was Brazil's acknowledgement of the history of slavery Can in the country. Can you imagine that ever happening here? No. Well, slavery didn't happen here. They were oh, unpaid right. workers, right. remember? Didn't right. you know like, the Civil War was about states right I, well i mean they had i understand they had like housing and like good food and yeah you know right, oh, right? according to bill o'reilly yes or there didn't he pl- say something about that there are plenty of yes about the, the slaves Absolutely. they got fed well yes. oh my god yes and bill you can't bill make o'reilly, it up also the, this is now getting maybe too far afield but the like one of the top five picture books uh, that the New York Times published a list last year around the holidays was, uh, you know, a source of a lot of controversy because it depicted slavery. But there was a lot of, uh, you know, happy slave yeah. motifs, all these smiles. Top five picture book in the country yes. by the Times. Because people have This is like- a crazy perception. We, we do not have. So I, to your question, I think it's great that Rio was able to tie that in yes and no which okay. is you tie it in but it's a spectacle because you're not actually dealing with the problem and that's right? very true and, and like this is really the thing like a lot of people that live in brazil especially in rio they say that that with a good lawyer if you're rich you can exploit the appeals process you can escape punishment for committing the worst of the worst of the worst crimes but if you're poor and you're black and you live in a favela you're probably likely to get killed by the police oh my god it sounds like yeah. so familiar i i swear i've heard this somewhere before so just to get into, yeah no matter how far you go there you are blackity black black brazil was the last country in the western world to abolish slavery it happened on may may 13th 1888 1888 and portugal was one of the first european empires to make slavery the primary tool of its colonialization and let me tell you something everyone thinks that most american slaves came to the the united states not necessarily. Approximately 5.5 million slaves were brought to Brazil. 4.8 million arrived alive. 700,000 died. And the 660,000 of that 700,000, they died in slave ships. Mm. 38% of all Africans brought to the Americas during the slave trade were brought to Brazil. This The, the history of slavery is very deep in Brazil. And, and longer. It, it started yeah. earlier. Yeah. And started, went longer than, than slavery here. I mean, it's just... Yes. And, and we're facing the issues of colorism and racism and segregation now. They're just now starting to mm. enact some sort of affirmative action laws. They're just now doing it. And to, between like, and, and they have problems. I was actually going to mention that in a yeah. second. The affir- and there's a lot of pushback about the affirmative action laws. Um, but, you know, just to your other point. Yeah, that also sounds pretty like familiar. <laughs> one in six women in Brazilian workforce are maids, and almost all of those women are darker skinned than their employers. And mm. they say that there's a joke. Even maids have maids, right? Um. <laughs> 
that's like wow. that's like the joke in Brazil. So you know, you do still, and it goes back to my original point, where yes, it's good that they addressed you know the issue of slavery in the opening ceremonies, just like it was good that the Russians addressed the history of communism during their opening ceremonies back during mm. the Winter Games in Sochi. But you know. You can address. It's also back to this breads and circuses yeah. kind of idea, which is you can address these things in an opening ceremony for the rest of the world to see and say, "Hey, look, you know, we're we're addressing the fact that we've had issues with slavery." But unless you're actually doing something to actually address right. those issues for your people, then it's just a dog and pony. Yeah, show. addressing is the wrong word for sure, because that's what happens after you've done some acknowledging and right. and honest. Spectacling. So we're running short, so, but I do have a question for you guys. So is America any better than Brazil in its handling of slavery? <sighs> That's yeah. a hard question. My my initial... Uh, that is a hard question. I'll my initial... You- I'm going to go like gut here and say no, and this is probably... This is, I'm sure, a more nuanced answer if I could think it through, but, you know, I keep coming back to you're saying, right, they're just now enacting these... Um, you know, affirmative action laws and kind of, you know, putting this acknowledgement of their history into action. But we just had a, an attempted Supreme Court challenge of affirmative action here. I mean, enough. If, just to, and answer that to the Supreme Court, you had the striking of the Voting Rights Act last year, yeah. or at least part of it. So, you know, I don't think it's one of those things where you could say anybody's doing better or doing worse. Like, there's differences, right? There are distinct differences between the American experience and between the Brazilian experience, and there's a lot of overlap. But I don't know. It's really hard to say that one place is doing it better or doing it worse because there's there are differences still, and those differences should be acknowledged. I mean, on the whole, we are a wealthier country. And so that of slavery. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just to hold on, because I want to finish that point. Which we're a wealthier country, which means, in my mind, we should be doing even better, right? And yeah. to say that we're doing very similar to Brazil, right. which is a country that's that's not. I don't want to say so much poorer because compared to other countries, obviously, like, you know, in in other places in the world that are extremely poor. But like in the scheme of things, when you look at a country like America that has just so much money in certain ways and you look at a country like Brazil, which has significantly less money than America. And you can say and you can't even figure out who's really doing better when it comes to the issue of slavery and the upward mobility of black people. That's a problem because of the fact America has so much money, and that would make me say that we're actually doing worse um, when we look at the the entire scheme of things. But in, it's really a hard question. I really don't know. What do you think, Stanley? Well, we don't know what I think. I don't think I think America's doing worse, and for many of the reasons that Alyssa mentioned, mm. and it, it, Brazil has one thing over America in relation to this. Caprinas. <laughs> yes, but and at least they'll acknowledge, like, hey, slaves, they were here. We did that. America. It's like the it's like the father that beat the crap out of you, but it's like, but I gave you five dollars to pay for your books when you went to college. Yeah. Why are you so upset? If you hadn't made me mad, I wouldn't. You know, it's yeah. like all of this. Ex- oh God, yeah. Yeah, and and obviously it's a little bit. It hits a little bit closer to home. It hits very close to home and because like, I'm from America. But like my ancestors are from the Caribbean. They're from like they're from Haiti. They're from Puerto Rico. They're from Dominican Republic. So like I have I have ties to all those different layers or or textures of slavery. Plus, but I'm here. We're at a political situation right now. We were talking about this, Meredith and I, before we came on the air. We're like, who are we to talk? Look who's running for president right now uh, for the Republicans. I mean, listen, I'm not going to get into I don't want to get too much into the election. We spent a whole lot of time talking about it last week. Hillary obviously isn't my favorite candidate, but at least she's like, you know, reason a functioning like, human, a being. Functioning human right. being like you know like who are we to talk when one of the major candidates on the presidential ticket right now is basically winning when his entire platform is built built like on racism islamophobia xenophobia like it's not even patriotism it's jingoism you know mm. like like we like who are we to take a moral stance in judging other people when we can't even get our own act together right now in our own backyard yeah, I agree with you 100%. So, guys, we do have to wrap this up. I'm going to give one of my famous closings. And by famous, I mean I'm going to try and make sure it is not as bad as um, I think Alyssa and Meredith was hoping it won't be. So, Oh, man, that was a convoluted statement. You know what? I do am we not hope here it's bad you. or good? I'm, I'm hoping it's good. All right? okay, I will not too. take you using English words to intimidate me, Mrs. Smarty. Mr. I'm giving Smart. you good vibes. Oh, I feel the good vibes. Alyssa, do you feel the good vibes? Zika? <laughs> you got that Zika? You got that Zika. His head is very small. You know what, guys? 
I'm not looking at you anymore. Okay. So we're coming to the close of this conversation, and many of you are probably thinking to myself, well, we got no answers in this entire conversation. What we heard is that Brazil really sucks, and Brazil is really poor, and Brazil has a lot of crimes, but I live in America or New York or Mississippi or Alabama or somewhere, and we have these same problems. And what it should tell you is that even though we have a lot of problems here, those problems exist everywhere in the world, and there's some very simple common sense ways that we can address these problems, but man and humans are flawed because we can justify having this decadent celebration of athleticism and sports and competitions on a countryside where people are starving to death every day and dying of senseless violence but we argue and we fight and we blister and we yell when someone says maybe we should just feed the poor so what Mm. we should be doing and if you're wondering what we should be getting out of this we should be sitting down and asking ourselves a question and asking our elected officials the question and asking our friends and our families the question what's really more important someone swimming 100 meters in under 30 seconds or making sure that every single person has food in their stomach, a roof over their head, and a quality education. Because it seems like we can all agree that swimming is freaking awesome, and so is basketball. But making sure someone starves to death seems to be a debatable issue, and that is a major problem. And until we deal with those... And until we deal with that quote-unquote debatable issue, we will always have favelas in Brazil and ghettos in America. Unless you're comfortable with that, I say let's stop it. back on let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whcr the voice of harlem if you are just tuning in this is stanley fritz with Alyssa fuchs and meredith barnes and if you're wondering what we were just playing it was the introduction song of the hamilton musical listen if you love me if you love this radio show if you love whcr the voice of harlem which you should but most importantly if you love me get me tickets to hamilton (laughs) that's all i'm asking for i've listened to the entire soundtrack for like God knows how long. I love it, but I want to see the real thing. I've already missed out on Min- Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's not doing the show anymore. Thanks a lot, guys. But you can still get me to go see Hamilton. All right? Do that. Get it done for Stanley. So anyways, guys, we what are... What about... Go ahead. Do go we ahead. get tickets? Oh, oh yeah. Get these guys tickets, too. <laughs> <laughs> this, these not, but don't get... To, Jackie is not allowed to get no, tickets. Jackie no, Jackie is not allowed. Selena's in the basement, so... Well, no, no. Selena can get tickets, because, like, Selena's in the basement. Oh, we're going to let her out the basement? She's my quirky little sister. we got to let her see... She'll be like, oh, my God, there were slaves in the 1700s? You know Selena. <laughs> He's just sucking up because of all the stuff you said about nerd camp. This is true, but let me tell you a quick story about Selena. Did you know that she, she thought the Underground Railroad was a train station? <laughs> There's actually a new book that just came out by Colson Whitehead. He was on, uh, this just came out last week, uh-huh. and it is a reimagining of the Underground Railroad <laughs> as an actual railroad, and it's called the Underground Railroad. Don't let her read it. I told this you she is was a book. I actually saw somebody walking around with a Harriet Tubman t-shirt that had a funny saying on it. And by funny, I mean like it was it was smart, and like smart funny, not like... Ha ha, that's stupid. Like funny. slavery, lol. Yeah, wasn't yeah, that. yeah. No, it wasn't that. Like it had like this smart saying on it. It was good. I don't remember what it was, but I, if somebody wants to get me that Harriet Tubman okay. T-shirt. <laughs> All right, so guys. Oh, okay. We're not asking for favors. So this is what out. happens when Selena doesn't come to the show. You see, we do not follow the agenda, guys. We're really bad at following agendas because we just like to talk and say stuff. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. If you've been listening, we've already talked about Brazil and the impacts of the residents in Brazil with the Olympics. We had a news roundup where we told you about. Donald Trump saying that maybe we should shoot Hillary Clinton. Just kidding, or maybe he isn't. And we also talked about the DOJ report, um, Department of Justice report on the Baltimore Police Department and how they were forcing sex workers to perform oral sex for money, among other salacious slash egregious things. And now we are back to the Olympics, and we are here to talk about the sports. But it's not what you're thinking. You're not going to get box scores. You're not going to get highlights of Michael Phelps kicking all kinds of butt. You're not going to find out how many flips um Gabby Douglas did. Those things are all important, but that's not what we do here on Let's your voice be heard we are here to give you a platform to speak but we are also here to create a platform for the unheard we're here to talk about the lgbtq community we're here to talk about people of color we're
We're here to uplift women. We're here to uplift black women in particular. And these are the kind of stories that we want to share with you today. So we're going to start off this conversation focusing on those pieces. But just to make it a little spicy, we want to talk about Russia. So just I know. <laughs> known for their spice. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the Russians. Yeah. Very caliente. Spicy get that, bullets. Get that borscht. <laughs> yeah. So Ooh. So, guys, just in case you did not know, all Russian athletes seeking entry into the 2016 Rio Games were considered to be affected by a system subverting and manipulating the anti-doping system. The Russians were doping and the government was helping them. The IOC said in a statement the Russian track and field team had already been banned after the IAF, IAAF found legitimate allegations of state-sponsored doping and cover-ups. I'll make sure I get that acronym for you guys. And and cover-ups in the wake of the McLaren report that found evidence of widespread doping from Russian athletes who performed in the 2014 Sochi Games. So because of that, the Russians didn't really have a lot of people representing them in this Olympics. They didn't really win a lot of gold. Well, their entire track and field team has been barred, although yeah. some of their other Olympians have been able to compete in other events. Um, there was, though, one... Um, one Russian athlete who was allowed to compete on track and field, and then she was then barred, and she's currently appealing that right now on the grounds that she's been living and training in the U.S., and that even though she's competing for Russia, she's not a part mm. of their state-sponsored doping. Actually, there was a, a scathing article published in the New York Times this morning about how state-sponsored doping goes all the way back to the 1980s when Russia was still under Soviet control, but, you know, mm. not without getting too bogged down in the historical details. I mean, this is a big issue in sports we want to have clean athletes we want to have a, a, a competition where people are competing to win based on their you know practicing and based on the amount of time and effort they've put in to train for these olympics not based on the fact that they took some drugs that have made them uh you know performance enhancing drugs that make them perform better than other athletes uh you know at the same time though we have to be very we have to you know, look at where we draw that line because if somebody really is clean, we really don't want to be borrowing them. Just we don't want to give, make them guilty by association, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's the big real issue that I think we have going on now. I want to jump in. I'm going to use, I'm going to connect something to this. It doesn't connect properly, but I'm kind of doing it because <laughs> some people have been making this argument. So, have you guys heard of Castor Semenya? Yeah, no. I was going to get to Castor Semenya actually later on in this segment. All right, damn it. <laughs> um, so, um, Castor Semenya, um, so if you guys know, is a South African runner. And one the reason that her name has become like so synonymous or like so oh, infamous, yes. Okay. So she is um she's intersex and what so intersex is a I guess you would say the appropriate way to say um, like she has both the, right, the male so and the female. Go, you want to go listen? It's some, yeah. She's not trans, so we should differentiate that. Um, yeah. She was born uh, with both male and female characteristics, and yes. this is um, uh, not. It's not a common thing, uh, yeah. but it's also not that out of the ordinary. There are definitely other people. Um, she's a female athlete, uh, but she has a high level of testosterone, and she has been found to have internal male, uh, some internal male sex organs. Yes, and, and it's it, this is overrepresented in the athletic community. I I understand because of the prominence of testosterone that is higher than your normal or normal. It's your hyperandroism. Your um broader population of women yeah. that if you're doing something like jumping really high or running really fast that would be a benefit yeah. although it's not in any way doping yeah. but i i know that gets us back to our no story it does, <laughs> because she was favored to win the 800 meter race and a lot of people were saying whether she should qualify as a woman or a man and they did come up with a solution mm. of how to qualify this they did it by by testing the, the testosterone if i'm correct Alyssa. right and a lot of people have given a lot of pushback on that basically what they do is they test the testosterone level and if you're over a certain threshold then you have to go on to essentially estrogen in order to reduce the amount of testosterone <sighs> that you have and they're basing it on just this level but a lot of people have come out, especially scientists and doctors, that have said that this is really unscientific, that it doesn't, you know, like there are men that have very low testosterone levels that wouldn't qualify and that there are women who don't have internal sex organs, uh, male sex organs that still have higher level of testosterone that would fall into this yeah. and that the whole thing is completely unscientific. I, I know that's like separate and apart from the doping thing. I wanted to get into that issue of like talking about intersex and trans athletes um you know in the segment as well but just to go back for the to the doping thing for for a half a second um 
you know, some at least one of the athletes, the one who's the whistleblower, mm-hmm. she is, from what I understand, competing under the IOC banner, which is you can actually, which is separate and for, apart from the refugee team, which is something we can also talk about later on in the segment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the IOC has their own uh, banner, and you can actually compete as somebody without a country at all under the IOC's banner. And so there's at least one athlete from Russia that I know of um, that she was the one who blew the whistle on the entire thing. But I think that like, we shouldn't try and mix and match like the doping issue with the intersex issue, because while I see where you're seeing, they're somewhat related because of issues of hormones. Like I think they're completely different in one situation. You have people through a state sponsored program run by the Russian government, taking performance enhancing drugs in order to be able to make them better in competition. And on the other hand, you have a situation where you have people that were either born as intersex or have decided to change their gender and they're taking hormones not because they're trying to or not because they're trying to enhance their performance using things like steroids but because they're trying to change who they you know change their gender to what the gender that they feel is more appropriate for them that they that they fit with or are trying to be intergender or somewhere in between gender or were born as intersex which is different and apart than transgender totally. so like, imagine I think the we shock should... imagine the shock of growing up and you know competing and doing living your entire life as a woman and it's only in this one test where all of a sudden this bomb gets dropped that maybe you don't qualify as a woman it's i that's, think it's horrifying that's horrifying i just, I just want to clarify like i definitely so i did that in like in the space of like this this is some argument that some people have been making i don't believe that they're they, they, they correlate but yeah. um that's that's huge but then also now in the future we're going to have a lot more um intersex people and trans, transgender people who want to participate yeah. in the olympics and if they're not even basing like their decision on um somalia and science what are they going to do when we have what if well, what if, go ahead, you know some people have said that to open up a third category of the olympics mm-hmm. and but that's oh. also controversial because then it's like it still goes back to this like who qualifies as a man who qualifies as a woman totally. and who fits into this third category yeah they're gonna like you a, know? A, a gender, like a right, a it's like the track. gender neutral bathroom. It's like, but trans people don't want to use the gender neutral bathroom, they want to use the bathroom where they identify, and so it's like, but would like just because they identify as it doesn't mean that they don't necessarily have like an edge because of testosterone or whatever it is, right? And so that's is that fair, but uh, my this is something I want to get your opinion, y'all's opinion on. Uh, came out, um, you know, if you're born. In the issue of intersex in particular, I think the issue of trans athletes is is a little bit more complicated. But with the issue of intersex athletes, um, you know, are they really at an advantage that like at more of an advantage than somebody who just was born very, very tall or was born at a very high altitude uh, region of the world and ended up a runner and therefore their lungs had always been stronger than people who didn't live very high up yeah. in in terms of altitude i mean right, is it really point. an unfair advantage if this is uh, something you were born with and didn't seek out and in some cases didn't even know about how horrifying again until some doctor with not a lot of backing came in to tell you you weren't really a woman well, I don't know, think it should matter at all comes back to our modern society our modern world I would venture to guess that there have been other intersex athletes that have competed in the Olympics totally as either unknown. male or yeah. woman in the past and and it totally was unknown and maybe even they didn't know or sure. you know and so now I think the issue is only being pushed a lot more into the forefront because of more of like today's societal norms about like and technology and technology about who is or who isn't um, a woman but at the end of the day it's like should we say let's leave you know i i get where some people are like oh well there's an unfair advantage but i think you make a good point where like somebody who lives in a certain place may have unfair advantages or is in just other taller ways. than you i mean yeah. this if you really dumb it down to physical characteristics that we absolutely do not associate with any unfairness mm-hmm. i don't see any difference i would challenge anyone to to tell me what the difference is between an intersex person and a very, very tall person for whom that is a benefit in their sport of choice. Right. I would agree with you. And I have like a history. Believe it or not, I'm actually pretty athletic despite the bike accident. Um, <laughs> you're, 
And um, like I have a, fa- a history of family who's like very athletic. So when I was 14 years old, I could dunk because like I just like I'm. Well, you're black. <laughs> exactly. You could. Oh my God, you're gonna get so much trouble, Meredith. We are calling all the Oprahs on you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, you get a TV, and yeah. you get I know, a TV. She just gives and stuff you get away. A TV. Oh, Please call. No, Oprah. but you know what? This is like it has like no amount of science is gonna give us a final answer. This is really more about ethics than it is Agreed. about endocrinology, right? It's about. Ooh. Sorry, Ooh, those two and words. an alliteration. Word. Sorry, no, I got that from a Slate article. I'm not oh. even gonna lie. Oh. Like I, I just paraphrased. <laughs> she it. cited it. I cited it. Okay, I paraphrased it. Uh, no, it's it's not stealing when you when you when quote you cite it. it. Yeah. Oh, you want to cite your work? That's whack. Well. Yeah, because you know <laughs> I don't plagiarize things like other people. Melania Trump. Oh, gotcha, <laughs> Melania. Um, but you know, like that's what it comes down to. It's like it's it, it's all comes back to social issues and people's social mores and whether or not they're not going to be okay with it. At the end of the day, to just you know, like to bring the conversation full circle, you know, like there was some back and forth between the Russian athlete and one of the U.S. Olympic swimmers, and at the end, um, the the U.S. Uh, swimmer won and you know what she did she turned around she looked at the russian athlete in the pool she looked dead at her put up one finger and waved it back and forth in her face to say i'm number one and i did it without steroids and like that's that's what it is at the end of the day and you know what even sometimes and a lot of people don't know this which is if it turns out five years from now that that they find out that you actually did test positive they will take away your gold medal and they will give it they will move everybody down a medal so this has happened many many times which is they've reversed and revoked the gold medals of many many athletes that have been found to be doping and the silver medal winner ends up getting the gold and the person who won bronze will get the silver and the person who came in force will get that bronze so they rectify it but a lot of people have also pushed back against the Olympic committee saying that they should have some kind of essentially revisionary ceremony at the opening Uh, of different Olympic games to sort of deal with this the thing on the podium. podium right exactly but like at the end of the day then like is it about the thing at the podium right then it goes back to that idea like if somebody calls you up and says you know what you really won the gold is that good enough or do you need the thing on the podium right that's a good question so i think you need the thing on the podium i would want the thing on the podium too so guys we do have to go on a quick break when we come back we'll be talking about the refugee team it's a very interesting team that you guys should all hear about So, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz here with Alyssa Fuchs and Meredith Barnes, and we are talking about the Olympics and some of the highlights of the Olympics. We talked about the Russian doping. We talked about the intersex athlete and the ambiguous-slash-stupid way they decided on which um, gender competition she would participate in. And now we are going to be talking about the refugee team. And in case you are wondering what the hell I am talking about, I will explain because this is a first for the Olympics. For the first time in the history a team of 10 athletes will com- have actually competed under the Olympic flag as a refugee Olympic team. It includes two swimmers from Syria, two jokers from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, an Ethiopian marathon runner, and five middle-distance runners from South Sudan. The 10 are among more than 59 million who have been forced to flee their homes to escape war or political persecution. And as we know, America is not very good, at least at this moment, with letting in refugees, even though we are partially responsible for a lot of the people who are refugees, at least in the Middle East, but that's just my opinion, so I won't push it on anyone else. But what I do want to talk about is how everyone's celebrating, look at these refugees, they're so tough, standing <laughs> against the odds. Why won't we let them into our country? Right. Mm. And also, I think the better question is, what are they going to go back to? Yeah. yeah. Where Where are they going back to? Some of these people, I mean, one of the girls who's swimming on the refugee team. Woman. What, she, sorry, yes. One of the women who was swimming on the refugee team, uh, you know, like her family was like on a boat that like capsized in the Mediterranean yeah. and she like helped to swim people to safety. Holy like what, where is she going right, right now? She's at the Olympics and she's in the Olympic village and I'm sure she's gotten a uniform and she's being catered to, but what is the Olympic committee and what are us as, as people of the citizens of the world doing to ensure that not only her, but where, uh, you know, where other refugees that aren't Olympians that yeah. aren't getting this recognition are going back to, or are going to be uh, staying 
you know, once the Olympics are over or where the conditions that they're currently living in. So yeah. they think that's like my biggest grievance is that I feel like this was good. I'm glad that the Olympic Committee did this. But I also like feel like this is a situation where it's like, OK, but what happens next? Like what happens to her when the games end? Their yeah. lives are crazy. Um, so Syrian swimmer um, Rami Anis, he left his country with a bag. The bag had two jackets two shirts, two pair of underwears. That's all he has to his name and no country. Alyssa, I mean, sorry. Meredith? Yeah, I I mean, I agree with you guys. I think it it is definitely, uh, to bring it back to what we talked about at the beginning with the... Uh, demons, the performance that was linked to Brazil's, uh, you know, slave slavery having passed. And <laughs> and the, the question was, is this just spectacle or does it mean anything? I feel similarly about the refugee team. And... That is a very big question. I mean, 59 million people is yeah. the number you just quoted. And who's going to take them is a is a question that people actually should engage with on a way that is not uh, an open door policy or a complete xenophobic, um, no you know. Here. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a thoughtful discussion because the truth is that resources are limited. People do have you know, misgivings that are borne out in some cases about what's going to happen if we've got the, you know, the wrong elements and, oh man, the whole wormhole of defining what that is. Um, but these are, these are legitimate concerns and either side dismissing one another about this in terms of, of allowing refugees into any country, but I'm particularly thinking of America yeah, yeah. is just a road straight to deadlock. Right. And on, but on the, at least on the flip side of that coin is this idea that like, you know, this is in some ways putting these some of these athletes on the world stage, you know, mm -hmm. and giving them the visibility in order to maybe be able to call for some of the changes that I think we'd like to see with respect to refugees. So you always have to look at like the giveth and the taketh, right? You yeah, know? <laughs> I just I just don't buy that. I mean, yeah. it's to me it's the same. I'm so cynical too about, you know, some of the stuff we talked about earlier with uh, what is the ripple effect or what is right. the afterglow of the the Olympics in Rio. Stanley. No, uh, just to put, to add on to what you said, Meredith, you know... Um, 59 million people is pretty visible. Right. You know? yeah. like, yes. like, <laughs> no, but it should be, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And no, talk, I think that's a good point. And just talk about like the disconnect between like what's happening there and what's happening in our own homelands. You know, we're going to cry and celebrate um, Gabby Douglas winning another gold medal, and then today a black another black man was shot by the police in Milwaukee. Yeah. It's this, It doesn't mean anything. Right. That, that's that's the frustration behind it. Alyssa? Yeah, no. And well, just to segue a little bit, and then you have a whole other group of people, which is people who went to the Olympics not as refugees, but now may be scared to go back to their own homes yes. because some reporter decided that it was okay to pose as a gay man in order to out them. And a lot of these, and I know Stanley's going to give you the background about what I'm talking about in just a second, but what you have to remember is some of these athletes come from countries that are vehemently anti-gay and that where being gay can even you know, cost you your life, whether you're just killed by somebody on the streets who's against homosexuality or whether you're actually prosecuted by the government and subjected to a death penalty or a death sentence or jail time because you are gay. And then we have, uh, you know, upper middle class, white, straight Americans thinking that it's a good idea to break all journalistic integrity and rules in order to write an article. Um, and now putting a lot of these other athletes at risk, which now may not be able to go back to some of their home countries following the Olympics because of this. Yeah. So just to give you more information, the article came from the Daily Beast with the author Nico Hines, who was a straight white male who was also He's married. British, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's British or American. I but looked at his Twitter bio and it said that he'd been on the London desk. I don't know if that means he's... Anyway, this is well, neither here yeah, nor there. Yeah, no, but, but that's the thing. So, he's not just some bloggist or journalist. Like, yeah. he was the editor of their London, like, yeah. news desk, Stanley. Yeah, and, like, so he went over to Rio, and first he joined Tinder because he was trying to see if he could hook up with people, and Tinder wasn't that interesting, so he deleted Tinder and went to Grindr. He wasn't, and he wasn't really trying to hook up, right? No, he he was, it was more see. like a way to meet people to interview them, which I find very strange that yes. like that's the way you would go about it but yeah on. and like grinder which is i don't know much about grinder but i think it's safe to say it's the tinder of for like for, for the lgbtq which is a dating app where you can kind of like go through like see who we want to date in a quick succession and he started meeting up with these people 
to see if like how far they would like how far they would go or how interested they would be in them got all the information then wrote about it in detail in a daily beast article saying giving names giving countries identifying details yes names? Identifying did he de- give yes. names to goodness gracious and then making fun of them in an article and then when people pushed back on it the daily beast edited the article to take out some of the more like detailed information but kept it up and people pushed back again so daily beast took down the article and then put an editor's note about we learned together go to hell daily beast that was horrible it's the first time in their history, as a, if I'm recalling right, that they've ever taken an article down. I'm not sure if that's the case, but if it is, that's, that's I mean... I, that's what I remember reading, and I think that's completely justified. I mean, this isn't this isn't just a, an issue of taste or um, opinion about whether something is worth covering and whether dating apps are a valid way to get interview subjects, I would submit that they are not. But, you know, when you've got identifying details that are literally putting people's lives in danger, there absolutely should have been no middle ground. It's like the article shouldn't have gone up in the first place. People are going, oh, well, this is the first time the Daily Beast has ever taken down an article. Like, nobody thought to check to say, hey, wait, maybe we shouldn't publish this article to begin with because even though they were so-called anonymous, like, basically, pretty much everybody that looked at the original version of the article said based on the number of details he included in you were able to figure out who he was talking about in like less than 10 minutes for almost every single athlete he talks about honestly I mean there's no such thing as a journalistic license like you know anybody can call themselves a journalist be a journalist right right? it's not like being a lawyer but like if there was such thing as a license like he should lose his job as far as I'm concerned like at a minimum the editors who approve this because this has to get approved this this, this isn't like let your voice be heard no they should all lose their jobs yeah this is this is ridiculous and this is egregious and it shows you just how desperate these publications are for clickbait. I th- By the I way, don't click think, on my website. I don't think that's what... Yeah, click on the website. I don't think that's what it shows, though. I would submit that actually what this exposes is, you know, that usually sort of amorphous word privilege. Right. You know, if if several people who are not... I, I would probably think that nobody from the LGBT community read this article in, in the editor editing stage i would not be surprised if nobody from outside of the western world looked at this article so they probably didn't even know that that would or they if they knew it was kind of like a ooh, that's spicy but like they didn't think like like wow they could be killed in the spicy land of russia for being known either that or they did think about it right and they didn't (gasps) care that's the worst just to just to play the opposite of that i mean it's possible he knew that he would potentially be putting people at risk but he didn't care because it was more important for him to get the quote-unquote story that's what bothers me the most as a as a gay person yeah um just as a person in general who has some humanity is the idea that somebody would would want to get a story so bad that they would will that they would knowingly and willingly and voluntarily disregard the risk to these other people in order to get their own clicks. I like, think it definitely started as clickbait. I mean, you don't source your interview subjects from dating apps without imagining what that headline is going to be. Um, and when you reverse engineer from a clickbait headline, you just don't you don't have a full story there. You're just kind of making up as you go along to justify the headline. No, you're right about that. So, guys, I do want to move on. I want to get yeah. away from all this sad stuff and just talk about some of the sports for a little bit. So, um, one of my favorite competitions is swimming because I swam for so long. Michael Phelps, he is a freaking legend. He is going down. He won, he won another gold medal yesterday. Yeah, it's crazy. And he got a silver the day before that. He has been kicking He butt. probably just throws, a, throws those away. The silver medals, yeah. I think he just drops them in the trash can, like, right. on the way out. Yeah, like, when you know, you lose a championship, and they send the championship shirts to the, another country. He sent his gold medals, his silver medals somewhere right. else. Alyssa? Yeah, no, I've been watching the swimming. It's been great. But I actually think the the, the most important story out of swimming is about Simone Manuel. Yep. And, of course, yeah. you know, like I said, there was some controversy about that because there was a newspaper uh, that, like, published the story as, like, secondary to Michael Phelps yeah. when, like, it deserves to be a headline. There are so many other really good sports stories, like, coming out of the Olympics that, unfortunately, we don't really have a lot of time to talk about. You know, from Simone Manuel, there's Gabby Douglas and the U.S. Women's Olympic team. Yep. Um, there's... Uh, Simone Biles, who did great and won some gold medals as yeah. well. Yeah, um, Wait, I've loved the memes. Speaking of what you're talking about, going around where it's like I'm not the Michael Phelps of gymnastics. I'm the Simone Biles yes. of like the world. And in case you guys <laughs> don't it. know, she's the first black woman to win a, a gold medal for all around performance. Awesome. And like apparently, she was so far ahead of the competition that like they. <laughs> It was like they 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 actually tried like to break it down scientifically how she does her her gymnastic work and they couldn't. So that is pretty awesome. Do they have a mercy rule in gymnastics? They do not have a mercy rule. Oh, that's sad. 
they just have mercy rule in life. If you get so much student loan debt, I <laughs> But um, some of the other things that I also like was Gabby Douglas got flagged for not putting her hand on her heart during the um. Because Republicans are hypocrites. Because Donald Trump didn't put his hand over his heart during the debate. But you know, of course, he doesn't a, have a heart. If a black woman, <laughs> if a black woman doesn't do it, then like that's like she doesn't love this country or something. And she should love this country who kept her ancestors well fed when they were slaves. Right. <laughs> You see, that Full is the circle. That we live in. <laughs> like that's the mentality of like white conservatives. It's like insane. Don't even yeah. get me started. Yeah. Because I'm not like not trying to go off onto a political rant. Anyways, guys, I'm going to close this out by telling you a little bit about a story that, you know, in all the good things that happened, there was one story that was a little disheartening. And no matter where you stand on the whole Israel-Palestine-Arab country debate, um, you know, there was a a match, a a judo match, and the Israeli won the judo match, and the Egyptian refused to shake his hand. And it was really disappointing to me because one thing that I found throughout all of these Olympics is that for the most part, with that one exception that we saw— um, you know, that I just mentioned, a lot of these athletes, they come from countries that have a lot of political disagreements. A lot of times, you know, their leaders don't get along. There's a lot of political turmoil. And yes, we've seen some finger wagging and some mocking going on in the pool and even on the track. But at the end of the day, even um, uh, most of what we see is good sportsmanship, is that a lot of times when these athletes win or lose at the end of the day, at the end of the competition, at the end of the race, they jump over the line, they shake the other person's hand. You saw a lot of this um you know a lot of times i you see the third place japanese competitor hugging the first place uh you know American competitor, uh, you know, at the end of the basketball game where the men's team beat the Chinese men's team by almost 50 points. Beat the crap out of the Chinese yeah, team. Yeah, um, you know, they, they shook hands and, and, and wished each other well. And, you know, I'm just going to close this out by saying that sometimes I think we need to strive just as countries in general, as humans, to do better, to look up to these athletes not only as heroes but also as role models not only in sports but also in life. Yes, there are always going to be some times where there's some mocking and finger wagging um, and maybe even some people that don't understand that you should have good sportsmanship towards some people even if you have political disagreements but for the most part what I've seen is Olympic athletes that are willing to go over and above and to put themselves beyond the politics of their own countries and to show that they have good sportsmanship towards their other athletes. And I think that the big call to action in this is that we, again, like I said, as human beings, as people in countries, our politicians need to do better to engage in good sportsmanship, so to speak, towards other political adversaries, just like we see our sporting heroes engage in good sportsmanship towards their sporting adversaries and to just do better as the human race to, you know, like I don't want to sound all hippie and like world peace here but you know i do think that the olympics is a good example of how we can all do better to respect our neighbors to respect those that have different politics than our own and to figure out a way to work together because at the end of the day we all live on the same planet and we all have to figure out how to get along with each other so that we can enjoy this great planet that we do have uh you know not let it be destroyed by political disagreements and things like global warming on that note we're going to take a quick break i'm going to come back and tell you about weed yay weed WHCR 90.3 FM, New York.